Hello, I'm Scott Soshman. And I'm Evan Novi williams And I'm Michael Barr, and this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Today, we begin with the Final Four, now down to the finals. It is Michigan against Villanova. Okay, let's give it up for Loyola Chicago. They had a great run. Well, this is the most fun I had in my life. It is. It's just so much fun for me to be here. And I almost didn't get here, but I fought hard enough to do that. Because I, I wanted to be with the guys. Sister Jean could only carry them so far. Everything's in the discount bin bar. 50% <laughs> off, 75% off, 95% off. I mean, that that's it. We will never hear of Sister Jean again because they're not coming back next year. So this is the way it works. You're hot, then you're not. So... This, this is it. And a good result for, for CBS and Turner crowd. This is kind of the matchup of when you looked at the Final Four. This is the one they probably wanted. Uh, you know, you get your East Coast small Catholic school. That's a basketball powerhouse. You get your big-time, big-conference uh, overall sports power in Michigan. Uh, get the Cinderella's out of the way, and let's get to those programs that have tens of thousands of fans all over the country. What is this East Coast Catholic school, Jesuit school, always in the Final Four? When's Yeshiva going to the Final Four? <laughs> when, they, when is Yeshiva building the program to where it's Michigan and Yeshiva? Uh, that, now that, I, I mean, that's a story. Hey, you went to the John Tucker uh, School of Rudy. <laughs> Speaking of which, though, about uh, Loyola Chicago, uh, at least uh, they made some coin for other schools in their division, and you talked about that. Evan. Yeah, I think a lot of basketball fans don't realize the way the NCAA rewards teams for playing well in the tournament, and they do so by giving the money to the conference, not to the team itself. Uh, so Loyola made $8.5 million uh, for all the schools total, for all the schools in their conference. Uh, and when you go to these are schools like Valparaiso, these are schools like Missouri State, Indiana, you know, these are schools that don't have a lot of money. So that is a significant, a lot of, a big portion of the revenue they bring in is from their success in the tournament and this is a a conference Missouri Valley that lost Wichita State last year you know and they were one of the best mid-major schools in in the tournament in the past decade they lost their bell cow and suddenly in the first year Loyola comes in and and wins the maximum amount of money that they can win for a conference it's huge for those schools and I'm not going to pretend to know the coach at Loyola I didn't watch much of it but what are they going to have to pay to keep them, and who's knocking on the door with what kind of contract? That's, <laughs> a lot, all, a lot that's of how this works. That's all I know. A that's how people. this works. A lot of people are going to knock on the door, and they're going to have to pay a lot to keep them. All right. I got to put you guys on the spot. Villanova or Michigan? Uh, I mean, I, I can see both teams winning. I, I'll go Michigan. Uh, Villanova obviously looked fantastic in their, in their semifinal game. Uh, Michigan, I would say, is probably the hottest team uh, over the past month or so in college basketball. Uh, they're playing well. I'll say I'll say Michigan. I'm gonna go with what I heard the little kid at the bus stop this morning. In a, in the real world, a Wolverine would be a Wildcat dad, so <laughs> he's going with Wolverine. I got uh, Villanova in the pool, but uh, sentimental reasons, I got to go with Michigan. And now on to another topic. That was the Detroit reference. By yeah, the way. doggone right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's talk about Katie Ledecky. She is turning pro uh, after her NCAA time. Uh, let's, there are a lot of factors involved here, uh, in the most serious one. I'm just wondering now, does she feel let down by the NCAA? I don't think she feels let down. It's just silly 
that she can't capitalize on her talent and ability. And maybe that day is coming. And we saw it with Jeremy Bloom, the skier, where he wasn't allowed to do some modeling or whatever it was. I mean, she's not just the best. She's so much better than anybody else. And now she can finally cash in because she's like, all right, I've done it all. Now she's turning pro. And there will be a nice stable of companies lining up to align themselves with Katie Ledecky's brand. She's not going to take them all. She'll, she'll parcel them out, but at least she can finally cash in. We won't speak for Katie, but I would imagine there's some frustration with the NCAA. She clearly loves being a student athlete. She's at Stanford. She's won two national championships with them, a host of individual championships. She likes it so much. She's A, she's staying in school. B, she's going to continue to train and practice with the team. And as she gets ready for the Olympics in Tokyo in two years, she's using the Stanford head swimming coach as her main coach. I mean, it is clear that Katie Ledecky enjoys her time at Stanford and is doing everything to continue that time except compete in the pool with the Cardinals because she wants to make the money on the It's it's almost like... Really, if there's a preordained outcome when she's in the pool, it's that she wins. It's not It's not even close. The only thing that changes is when they go out for pizza, she's buying. If given <laughs> if given the option to continue swimming for a cardinal and make money off her likeness or yes, not, she yes. would obviously continue yes. to, to be a collegiate swimmer. Yes. Um, and, and we can talk about the NCAA and their amateurism rules when it applies to other sports like basketball and football. But for swimming, I just don't I don't fully see what the benefit is to the NCAA to apply this rule to a sport that has so few stars that could really benefit from having a strong a, a woman who's the best in the world competing at the NCAA level as well. Just seems as though there's a lot here that the NCAA stands to gain if they let her do both. Well, you know, at the they're same just time. afraid you make it. You make. An exception for one, then you make an exception for all. They're, I'm they're not just, even arguing just for exception. I'm just yeah. arguing for you a just, rule you, change. You want a blanket rule change. <laughs> well, but it does It does seem like we're moving in that direction where they will be allowed to at least sell likeness or something. Sure. Yeah. So. And we can say moving forward in, in the next two years, she will be the bona fide a one star of the U.S. Olympic team moving into Tokyo. I can't think of anybody else that that would even Bart, challenge just, her. Just like in college basketball now, yeah, where if a, co- if a coach leaves where the kid was stuck at that school, or if he did transfer, he or she had to sit out a year. Now you hear this drumbeat of support for, wait a minute, you know, I know you're going to an institution, but a lot of these kids are picking the school because of the college basketball coach. So if that coach leaves, that student should be allowed to go somewhere else without penalty too. And it can go to anything from an NCAA football team, the basketball team, the same rules apply. But I guess the best case for Katie Ledecky right now is, as you said, heading into the Olympics, she gets all these endorsements, yeah. and she can make a lot of money. Yeah, you know mm-hmm. when this will make sense? That argument will make sense when professors start visiting households to recruit kids to. <laughs> yeah. Please come to yeah. Stanford. Please come to Georgetown. My class is so good for you. That doesn't happen? Not to me, anyway. <laughs> but the coach didn't come either. So, Speaking of the NCAA pressuring the NBA to allow pros to have the right from high school. And I, I don't understand, again, why we're in the same situation before, as you mentioned, Evan, about uh, why the NCAA is so strict about this. Again, Yeah, I think it's worth mentioning right here at the top that the reason that you can't go straight from high school into the pros in basketball is not because of the NCAA. It's not because the NCAA is greedy and wants to get these top players at least for a year before they move on. It's because NBA owners 
want to have that extra time, some extra layer of evaluation before they invest millions and millions of dollars uh, into a, an 18 or a 19 year old. And it cuts off the second contract that big. Yeah, it, exactly. It, it's a money issue. So, I, so I from the NCAA it. standpoint, they want they want a solution almost as much as a lot of college basketball fans do, and, and they are made out to be the villain in a lot of ways but on all, this specific issue. But they also bring it upon themselves with they don't let a kid go test the waters, not like where they get drafted and go back sure. to school. Yep, yep. And I can't mean, sign an agent. At, and give yeah, a, I yep. mean, mm-hmm. at least do what you can to best protect your players, sure. and they're not even doing that. Mm-hmm. So clean up your own house. And then worry about the the NBA and NBPA. And we saw Mark Emmert, the president of the NCAA, this weekend uh, talking about how, I mean, very publicly saying that he wants the NBA to figure out a better way, an easier way for recruits coming out of high school who want the professional experience uh, to do that in, in the D League, the development league for the NBA, as opposed to going into NCAA schools like we've seen countless of people people do kind of go to school, get through the end of their, their basketball the season semester, and drop semester, out. Yeah. yeah, they're not I mean the but school this, is an afterthought also, but this, for a lot of This is players. what bugs me about the whole thing. And I know it bugs executives in the NBA, both at the league and the team level. How many kids are we really talking about here? This is about what, ten or fifteen kids a year? And I know it's their lives and it matters. I get it. But we're talking all this ink, airtime, agita over 15 kids a year who really, if that, by the way, who really have the ability to be one and done, come on. What are we, why are we even bothering with this? Because the NCAA wants to keep them? This conversation comes a week after Syracuse top recruit uh, Darius Baisley said that he was going to forego going to college at all and that he was going to be one of the first, if not the first in my memory, to go straight from high school to the D-League. Um, and, and if you hear him talk about it, he's very open about the fact that this is its partially about money, it's partially about uh, being a trendsetter. He really believes that in the future there is going to be this groundswell of players, and Scott's right, it's not a huge amount of players. It's In their own eyes, it's a lot more players we, than it probably should be. We've had players go to Europe. We've had the high school yeah. kids say, I'm not going. It. Yeah, sure, I yeah. Mean, we've, we've seen this. Brandon in, Jennings. Yeah. Brandon, if you, if you want to make some money, go make some money. Let's. But the biggest stage out there is still the NCAA tournament, which is why these kids want to go. But if you can play, as David Stern used to say, if you can play, you can play. You're going to be found. So if you leave high school and you're, you're the top kid but you don't want to go to college, you go play for some team in Greece or Spain, if you're that good, you'll still be the number one draft pick. It doesn't matter where you are. But culturally, it's a big ask for, for a 16-year-old who everybody. may have, you know, who, who isn't 16. worldly, 17, whatever, yeah. however old you are, the idea of going and living in Greece no for a year out of high school Not for is a big ask. The D-League is a much more realistic uh, and probably much more enticing ask. Yep. Another topic, the NFL is considering the sale of betting data overseas. You don't say. The was- NFL... What? I was surprised they didn't already do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, they don't want anything. But I mean, the NFL did buy into Sport Radar, which is the largest right. provider of live data to the betting houses around the world. So while they're on one hand saying we're against this, we're against this, let's not forget what's going on here, what the left hand is doing behind the curtain. They are developing the ability to monetize sports betting. And just because it's not here, doesn't mean they don't want to make money from the betting houses around the world. And the fact that we're getting closer to a 
probably getting closer to a legalized framework here in the United States. It's, as we sit here on Monday, uh, the Supreme Court did not rule today, uh, so everyone can stand down on that. But we're getting closer to a, a possible situation where a lot more states in the U.S. Uh, have legalized sports gambling. And it is forcing all these leagues like the NBA, like the NFL, to really address and look at all the revenue-making opportunities. Because once there's no longer this thing for them to fight against, once they embrace it, there is a plethora of ways that they can really, really start filling up the coffers as a result. I had my mouth all watered, my wallet all set. I thought the Supreme Court was going to make a ruling today. But like you said, (laughs) no, it's like it's not going to happen. But it brings up this point. Once they make this ruling, and many experts, as we all know, say, hey, it looks like it's going to happen. We're going to be betting all across the nation. I wonder how many online sites are going to pop up and be regulated, and we're going to have a saturation of that or what? Well, yeah, I mean, they'll be there. That's why it's always about first mover and brand identity, and that's why DraftKings and FanDuel are who they are, and there's tons of those daily fantasy sites you've never heard of and I've never heard of. Those were the ones that succeeded. That's just marketplace. Let's let's see what happens. And how about a segue bar for you? What we're talking about here is like the big revenue streams. This is going to be the next big revenue stream. And before that was daily fantasy. And now it's esports. So it's just the next great revenue stream. I, I would think, though, that the fantasy sports sites do not want to see this. Well, they're going to pivot. They're, they're going to move over. I mean, yeah, they're going to have to. If you're DraftKings, I, don't, I think you realize that when – Betting on sports is allowed legally online. Your your product right now is not going to be as popular as as it was a year ago. I'll tee up Evan, but, Evan, but the value they but have is exactly you have the you have a customer base that is very strong that clearly enjoys giving you their credit card and and letting them let, let letting you organize games that they can kind of wager on sports, etc. Uh, they are banking heavily on the fact that they are experienced in marketing these types of games to across the United States. They have a very big user base already built in. You will see them pivot very quickly to becoming sports books. They better hope sense. Amazon and Jeff Bezos and say, hey, what's going on over there? We want to get in on that. You know, groceries, betting. You better, you better hope that he doesn't see it. There, there's one kind of barrier for companies like Amazon, and that's the fact that it, a lot of times, I mean, there's bad will sometimes if you lose money to the house, right? And I'm not sure if Amazon really wants to wade into the idea that your average sports fan every week might be losing hundreds of thousands of dollars or thousands of dollars to Amazon. You know, I'm doing that's that a, already on toilet paper, snow sleds, <laughs> No shoes, hockey <laughs> sticks. Are you kidding me? But see, I don't want the, the thing about fantasy sports compared to just regular just betting on a team. Fantasy sports, you got to do a lot of homework involved in that. There tell me, is tell a me about your homework, Bar. You, you were chatting beforehand. Tell me about your homework. You, you, you got killed by your son. You, oh, come on. <laughs> I mean, wrap it up with that. Tell All us about right, you. Yeah. <laughs> so, as we mentioned, esports, Fortnite is a huge game that I have realized. He was playing with Drake. <laughs> my 13 year old and my 18 year old are playing Fortnite and they're just they're just having a ball they're killing it and they said hey here and they hand me the remote and said why don't you try it and for people who don't know it's Uh-oh. there are 100 people out there on this map and they're trying to take everybody out and you know so they hand me the controller and as he does this my 13 year old says I know you're an old man, but it'll be okay. You'll be good. <laughs> Put down the space invaders, Dad. <laughs> How quickly were you uh, were you killed? Oh, it was about 45 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> it was bad. Uh, 
this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast. I'm Michael Barr, along with Scott Soschnick and Eben Novi williams We're here each and every Monday and Friday exploring the world of money and sports. Join us again at the end of the week when we speak with the biggest and brightest in sports business. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world and online as an Apple podcast on iTunes. 